Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. Daryl, it's absolutely brilliant to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Guy, and I'm excited about this opportunity. Well, I am too, because I've, I've, as is the power of the, the world that we live in, I see somebody from a distance and I send a little message and I, I wait for that no reply, no, or let's talk. And, uh, and so, and so, so here we are. So, uh, so I know who you are. I've done a little introduction on the audio podcast, but for the video um, cast, um, Daryl, just who are you and, and what do you do? And if I did know you, what would I know you for? It'd be great just to hear that before we get into the rest of it. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm Daryl Gordon. I, I run a residential treatment facility for the last 20 years, and I'm really changing the lives of young men and women that have been abused, neglected, or abandoned, right? And they reside right on our respective campus, and a team of about 200 folks work with them to, to get them back and reunite them back into their respective families or uh, to a group home or to uh, some other location that is befitting for them so that they can be successful. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to, you know, to, yes. to talk to you. So I'm going to go a little bit further in that. Then I'm going to go back in your history and then bring us back to sort of the, the, the present day. But for yes, the layman, yes. the person that kind of understands what you've said, but maybe not fully. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Who's your, uh, who are your clientele? Who are the people that that's the person that I would be working with or my organization would be working with? Yes. You know, the, 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 the clients are, young men and young women that, that are sent to us by the judicial system, traditionally sometimes by the Department of Corrections, sometimes from the Department of Family and Children, sometimes from a probation department, sometimes from the Department of Education. And they are struggling with, you know, um, conduct disorder issues, autisms, um, uh, sexual maladaptive issues, um, independent living skills, there's a there's a array of, of, of significant issues that our clients kind of deal with, and we are responsible for at least providing some sort of of um, treatment modality to help settle their acuity issue because they come with high acuity issues. So it's up to us to to kind of um, triage uh, for about six to nine months. <laughs> we do some unbelievable work. Our team does from clinicians to our case managers to our direct care staff, to um, um, our nursing staff, and they all provide some sort of support. Now, now it's, it's interesting to note, Guy, you know, there are kids that come that have significant suicidal ideations, right? And they are, are committed to trying to figure out how they can accomplish that respective goal. And it's our team's respect, responsibility to help them get to a place where they don't see that as a viable option anymore. And, and that's, that's the movement that we make on our respective campus throughout the state of Indiana. I can see you're well-practiced in saying that, but I have to say it's hearing it is uh, a little bit humbling. So yes. uh, I just want to kind of sit with that for a moment <laughs> because it's an easy thing maybe for you to say, but it's a, it's a big thing that you're doing, I think. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the amount of, of, risk 
in vulnerability, right? And anxiety that our staff and everyone else goes through in the midst of COVID. Mm. You, you still have to provide a way to keep your staff safe and the kids safe while also helping them keep themselves safe. Um, it, it's, I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in our country, but one of the most gratifying opportunities to actually say we're not building widgets, we're building human beings for the next generation. And that's what life is really all about, right? All of us tapping into how do we build that next generation that are less fortunate than us um, so that they can be on the right roads for success, just like you and I and the rest of the individuals in our lives. And how long have you been in this space where you yes. say, this is my full time, this is what I do, this is how I define myself, I guess? Yes, yes. You know what? I've been in this space, interesting enough, um, for about 20 years. And I recall 20 years ago, guy, 20 years ago, when I arrived, you know, it was just a God's calling. And, and, and when I walked on campus, I saw the opportunity. You know, when it's like a, a needle in a haystack, you see that God, this place has so much potential. And the kids were all over the place and it was an orphanage many years ago and it transitioned into a treatment facility. And I, I thought, hmm, is this an opportunity for me to lead and serve as their CEO? And, and I, I, I just, I had to deal with that. And, and uh, interesting enough, I, it came down to me and another gentleman, and I was about 35 at the time, and the other gentleman was about 51. And at the end, the board was split, and they went with the other gentleman. And I thought, hey, God, maybe this is right. I'll go back to the NCA where I loved my job and I love what I was doing. And, um, and in, in six months later, I get the call again saying, hey, would you be interested? <laughs> Wait a minute. I just thought you hired somebody. <laughs> and it didn't work out. And I remember getting there and I said, you know, there's a few things I think I want to do and then I'll move on to the next opportunity. And 20 years later, right, it, it grabbed me so strongly that, you know, we've, we've renovated the entire campus with new buildings, new facilities, new administration buildings, new dorms for our children so that we can provide, you know, top of the line care for them that are deserving of it. And it's been, again, it's been an ongoing mission for me in the work that I've been doing. So Daryl, one of the things, <clears throat> and anybody that listens to the, the, the podcast will know, I, I'm a massive believer in the, the path that we've traveled is often sometimes the building blocks to the way we are now, yes. uh, but also they add weight to the things that somebody has to say because of the path that they've, they've been on. Um, so it would be great just to get a sense of that, you know, guy, this is in essence how I got here. I'd yes. love to hear, I'd love to hear that story. Yes. Yes. Well, that, that's, <laughs> I think that's even more interesting because I had five brothers and sisters and, and, you know, I'm from New Jersey, Hillside, New Jersey, and it's a, it's a community right near Newark, New Jersey and New York. And, and, you know, and I had a brother that was an aspiring brother that was a professional boxer. And I remember and we weren't, we weren't affluent, you know, we, we were, we struggled um, in all aspects. And, um, and I just remember watching my older brother, I was the, the second youngest and I watched him and, and I watched him train and get up at five in the morning and I watched him do things that a 13, 14, 15 year old would never do, right? But he was so committed to this movement of being a, Golden Gloves champion and, and became pro in boxing. I just got to watch 
that trajectory. And, you know, and I used to call him Flash Gordon. And I thought, you know, I think I want to do this. I think I want to be better than him. And, and, um, and living in that environment, you know, there were gang infected. I was involved in gangs. My grades were bad. I, I had challenges all the way around. And I had an environment that I lived in was all challenging. And there's no reason why I should be sitting here today, nor talking to you, nor having the successes that I've had. Um, but, but I think it just my will to succeed. And, and I remember um, the University of Notre Dame coming to our school and I had a great year, my sophomore year in football and colleges from all over the country started coming in. And for some reason, Notre Dame came in and they left. And I'm like, coach, well, I heard Notre Dame was here. He said, well, they were, but they went to the guidance department and they looked at your grades and talked about your character. And they said, we don't think he's the guy that we want at our institution. He doesn't represent the values and the moral and the ethics that, that we betray here. And after I heard that, I truly transformed my life to really do um, something that I think very few people do. And that is not settle in being who I was, but changing to be better. And at the end of my senior year, I was uh, an All-American football player and uh, I was an academic uh, um, overachiever in the top 20% of my class. And Notre Dame came back and offered me a scholarship and did that. I had the opportunity to play for Notre Dame and won a national championship, got a graduate degree there as well as an undergraduate degree. And, um, and, and it was, you know, went to the White House and uh, you know, all of that was, was, was a result of me not giving up and, and um, having that time, right, with, with uh, people that sometimes say we can't get it done, right? And then, you know, thereafter, I, I, um, I, I injured myself in the hula bowl with some of the greats, Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, and, and Andre Risen, and we were all in Hawaii, and I injured my knee, so going through the pros became another obstacle. And I just went right to work and, and worked for a company, and then I went and got a law degree and um, worked for the um, NCAA and did some work there, and then you know, and I still wasn't satisfied. I felt like I wasn't being fulfilled, right? And, and it's interesting, everything I did from the day I started, my mom used to always take me to church, guy, and I just didn't understand. All my brothers, I'm the only one that always went. And then I found myself at Notre Dame. And not because I knew I was the first to ever go to college, so we didn't pick and choose institutions. I just thought, hey, it'd be a great institution to go to. And they had this Basilica church and they had the, you know, cathedrals and all this great things, you know, a grotto to pray in. And I, I got caught up into that. And, and it's interesting after that, you know, working for a little bit and then finding Warnley, this faith-based organization, a Lutheran agency. And, and for me to be here for 20 years, I, I don't think it's by chance that, that the road that God had me travel. And, you know, many people say, hey, Daryl, you were on Wall Street for a while. You could have made a billion dollars. You know, you have, you know, three degrees. You went to Harvard. You did all this other stuff. Why, why there? Right. And it's why not? You know, because we're responsible for giving back. And and that's the very reason um, I'm doing what I'm doing, because I feel like it's our responsibility. And uh, and I enjoy it. And I don't feel like in the 20 years I've been working here that I ever went to work. And I think when you can get to that place in your life, 
um, you've arrived. Um, so, so as a result of that, I recently, like two years ago, just finished a book on change. And um, I work throughout the country and helping people to change. And because I have some significant experience in changing organizations to the nonprofit that we became, became and, and changing our athletic team to winning national championships as a leader for that, for that organization and changing my spiritual life, I, I think I, I, and I have this, this key component I call flashpoints that are integral in that process. And, and it's, been a, it's been a jewel for me to navigate through everything that I've navigated through to, to help me achieve success. And uh, I've just been trying to give it to the world, um, um, helping them to make the transformation in their, their families and their financial lives and their spiritual lives and their um, um, health, as well as their academic and, and, and career. So I, I've, I've really tried to focus on those respective areas of success for them. So the book, uh, Change Does Not Occur in a Flash. Yes, yes. Genius. Yes. I, can see what, I can see what you've done there. <laughs> is that for the individual? Is it for the corporation? Is it, who, who's it for? Great question, Guy. It's for all of them. I try not to be everything for all people, right? And I don't think that's a good model to have. But I can say, you know, I've had to change individually and I share stories about my individual change, right? Again, I should not be talking to you today. You know, our, our psychologist, when he met me and he read about my background, he said, Daryl, it is almost impossible, um, unfathomable. It's a miracle that you are here today, especially in the capacity in which you live today. With all of the accomplishments you've made, most people would have been incarcerated, dead, or on some sort of drugs or alcohol. And, and for me, um, there was something in me that, that caused me to change in every portion of my career and my life that helped me continue to move progressively forward. So, so you know, to answer your question, this book is really about you know, helping people do the same so that they don't sit in the same place having a mediocre organization mediocre relationship, mediocre finances. Why can't you be millionaires if you want to be, right? And uh, mediocre um, health, um, I, I'll give you the tools and I give people the tools and it's simple um, to make that transformation, but you gotta, wanna, you gotta want to make it. And I try to motivate people to get there if I can. And I think that's what, what, what this has been for me. My experience at Warnley um, has really been to give back to those young people in the last 20 years. And I think I have the secret, right, to, to making that transformation. So as an organization, would I would reach out to you to have you, would it be talk? Would it be to work with them? Because obviously, you know, time is you know, uh, precious. So is yes. your focus on actually guy do that keynote intervention or I run masterclasses or workshops or what is it that you do outside of Warnley? Yes. Outside of Warnley, I, I really focus on, um, you know, there's several target markets that I try to, again, you know, play key to, but because of my unique experience, you know, it, it the target market's a little broader. So, so, you know, I go into high schools, I go into colleges and institutions, 
and I talk to, for, especially during orientation, because some of my stories are about my first semester at Notre Dame when I was going to be, when I was given a pink slip and I wasn't going to be there. And, and the dean says, hey, I just want you to know if you duplicate that performance that you had first semester, you're going to be home. And I'm like, home? And they said, yes, home. And I just want you to know, we pride ourselves on graduating 98% of our student athletes here, 98%. So I hate for you to fall in the two percentile, uh, which you are in the direction of doing, right? I, I, have no, I have no problem in sharing and being vulnerable, right, with you all to say that we all don't succeed all the time. But when we don't, what are we doing to make the transformation so that we can continue to doing the great work? I could have just said, like most freshmen, 65% of the freshman class going into college, 50% of them don't make it to their sophomore year. That's huge, right? They get there, they enjoy themselves, and they're out. So there's a market, right? Especially for mom and dad that are paying the bill the first semester and then he's gone, right? It's, it's you know, hey, Daryl, can you help them bef- help them help themselves? Because they don't know what they're about to embark upon. And even in high school, right, that I wasn't in going in the right direction. And until Notre Dame walked in and told me that I wasn't good enough was when I really stepped my game up academically and athletically um, to be better. But but something had to motivate me. And when I did, I remember going to my mom and dad and says, this place is going to be a safe haven for me. Like I need a place where I can study and I'm not being corrupted all the time. And I went to the gangs in which I used to be. And I said, listen, I got to get out. And they're like, we don't know if we're going to let you out. I said, I got to get out. Right. And, and I remember they said, well, you better succeed in what you're about to do. And, and, you know, there was just a lot of, and then I went to my teachers and I said, listen, you know, this, this is very important to me going to Notre Dame and no one has ever in my family has gone to Notre Dame. Anyone at my high school has gone to Notre Dame. And uh, I would love to be the first, um, but I need you all to hold me accountable you know, to the academic rigors of the school. And just because I may be a great football player does not mean I should be given grades. And, and I think they looked at that and they evaluated that and they said, well, this guy really wants to be held accountable at 15, 16 years old, which was abnormal. Um, and that was the transformation that began in my life. And I, I say that to say, I, that's, a, that's one of my audiences, but because I spent 20 years in running a nonprofit, and, and, you know, multi-million dollar nonprofit, I think I understand that model really well. And I understand how to develop it, grow it, and expand it, which is what we've done here at Warnley. And so I, I also help, can help organizations, right? And their teams, sales teams, help them to move in a progressive way to make significant change so that they can be self-sustaining. That's the objective at the end. How do you can be self-sustaining? And, and the final piece is I, I also have a target audience that, that's with corporations and with associations, but I also have, a, you know, diversity and an equity and inclusion um, specialty, right? I've been trained in that and I've been doing that for many years. So being in the space we're in now, you know, there's a great need, right, for someone to help organizations understand the value. And I, I'm a, if I can, Guy, I want to give you a quick, quick piece. That I was given a, a speech and I recall one of the a Fortune 500 company coming to me and says, Daryl, would you come and, 
and and be on our board, right? And we're going to pay you this much. And but at the time, I was in law school, and I couldn't. And I said, but I but they were trying to find an African American, but they also trying to find a lawyer. So I was a perfect fit for them. So I said, I know another African American attorney that you should look at. And I recommended him to the Fortune 500 company. He got on board. He was right there in the boardroom, and there were there were must be twenty. Caucasian men. That's it. On this Fortune 500 board. It's back in the 80s. And uh, I said, well, how did the meeting go? He said, Daryl, you wouldn't believe it. I said, well, tell me. Tell me about it. He said, well, they were producing soap and bar soap, but, but they were coming out with the squeeze bottle soap. And this was going to be the new product of the future. And they were excited about it because they were the first and they were asked for a vote to present the new squeeze bottle soap into America. And I said, wow. I said, okay, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so he said, well, they asked for a motion for approval, not a motion. There's a second. So there's a second. And the motion also included, he said, guys, the motion also included that we would rid ourselves of bar soap, right? And he said, any questions on the motion? And so he stood up. This is my first day. I stand up and I, he said, well, you know, so what, what's, what, needs, what seems to be your problem? You know, I mean, no, you're new and you're the first day. He said, in our culture, just like maybe in England or wherever, we use soap and rags. And we've always used that. And we will continue to use that as African-Americans. And he said, hmm. He looked over to his finance director of the organization uh, the board chair did. He said, so what's our revenue as it relates to bar soap? And she said, it's about a hundred million. He said, well, what percentage of those people are minority? She said, they, they have about 40% of the, of the uh, total revenue. He, he need not say any more or anything else. It went silent. They all knew what was about to happen on this vote. And they had no, no, no even knowledge, right, of, of it because they don't have that cultural experience. And they tabled the, the vote for next meeting. We come back next meeting. He says, guess what happened next? I said, what happened? He said, we have a young lady on the board. We have a Hispanic on the board. We have another African-American on the board. It is so diverse, you wouldn't believe it because they don't remember how much they may have lost over the years by not providing diversity. So, so my point here is we sometimes don't know the value of diversity or equity inclusion until we bring them to the table. And you know that's just something I teach, right? And I try to help organizations to understand that there is so much value, uh, but if you're not taking advantage of the uh, diversity opportunities, it could, it could really curtail your financial progress and growth. Not yet, not just including the the interaction with with a diverse population, but but there are some of the challenges and opportunities that come with sort of the presentations that I give. You have a very strong relationship with the truth. Yes, yes, you must right. You you must in the industry that we're in, in the people that I serve, I can't sugarcoat the truth. They need to know exactly where they are, where they're going, and how they're going to get there. But you've also had that with yourself 
by the from hearing you talk at a young age, you at some point when you were given some truths yourself, yes, yes, made consciously, unconsciously a decision to face into the truth. Yes, yes, that seems quite clear, I think, to me. Yes, um, and sometimes some people say to my detriment, <laughs> but. But I think success in life and great relationships in life come with vulnerability. Hmm. But so many of us, though, so, so many of us are afraid to be vulnerable. Well, I can't be vulnerable because they may use it against me. I can't be vulnerable with my wife because they may, or my friends, because I really don't know. But what if you're comfortable with yourself enough, though, that that you could just be as vulnerable as you can be and not care how people use it. You can't hurt me because I offer you that vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. I give it to you. Yeah. Right? I, I give it to you so that you can, you can do whatever you like with it. But guy, I think if our country would change, and I say change, if our country would change to a point of being vulnerable, it's like dating. You know, when you're dating when you're older, it's hard. It takes about six months to a year to really get to know her. It's the same with our clients that we're trying to transform, right? And to get through to them in counseling, they don't share until about six months. By that time, they feel comfortable enough to say, you're not going to leave me. You're not going to run away from me. and You're not going to abuse the information I'm going to give you. Hmm. Right. So 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 there is, I think, the key concept of of the value of vulnerability. If I can be vulnerable with you, then, then you're going to at least be true to me. If we can have an unbelievable relationship, I could save myself six months. <laughs> right. We can get right to it. And and that's where I think success comes. And that's how success is built. And that's how success will continue to happen in our country. Hmm. And <clears throat> I'm super alert to the fact that I get this sometimes with people that you know, with uh, with a with a hot beverage and uh, and a sandwich, I could go on with you for, for probably another two or three days. <laughs> so I'm just I'm being careful about opening up a topic and, uh, and disappear into it. And you go, you're, you're more than you're more than welcome. To now open Tuesday up, of the following week, I now have to go. <laughs> so you know, I think what I've come to understand is, is working with individuals and, and senior teams. And when I was younger. Mm-hmm. all about the tools and the methodology and validating myself through process. And, you know, I, I know how to do A, B, C, and D and all that kind of stuff. And as I have now hit the heady height of 51 years old and can now use this word, you know, experience uh, to a degree, <laughs> I've, I've come to, I talk about trust, accountability, bravery, and connection. I, I have to be trusted. You have to trust me. I have to trust you. You have to want that's, to be trusted. And that's right. Accountability. There's ownership, but there's then it's okay to fail as long as I understand that you were trying to be accountable, even if there was failure. Bravery. I talk about this idea of facing into and putting on your big your big pants. This idea that there are just times when there is no answer other than 
you've got to buckle up buttercup and you know you you've got to move forward and there's there's more to all of these topics but the big one that really resonates with me with you is i talk about connection and i don't just mean eye contact etc i talk about <laughs> contribution outside of your own need and and i think that's something that when i work with teams and i think i'm hearing it w- w- with you as well there's you know, people are very often very transactional. I need something. And if you need something, we'll, we'll work to get that done. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's an and rather than an instead of, which is what are you doing outside of that personal need to enable the other person on the other side of the table? Yes. And I think yes. I'm hearing that in you, which is at, you've got to a place in life where what you're really trying to do is is to say, and I can imagine the only people that could work with you are people that are willing to give of themselves. That's right. That's, 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 that's uh, you know, yes, you have to protect yourself and look after yourself, but whilst that's being done, the people on the other side, especially in your context have to sense that you, and it, they may not have trusted it because they may never, never have experienced it. Yes, but we've got yes. to be there for truly in leadership terms, we'd say servant leadership. Yes. Yes. got to be yes. there for others. And that, is a vulnerability of ego and that is a willingness to absorb what might be being given and not to fight it and react to it and there's a maturity with that and i think if i'm hearing you correctly that's what i'm hearing Uh, unequivocally i i I think you are you're you're nailing it right it's that vulnerability to and and that servant leadership it's 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 interesting i i in my last year um, at Notre Dame, I recall Lou Holtz was our coach at the time and, and he was in his second year and, you know, we didn't do very well. And I recall um, um, him saying to me, I had a fifth year and he says, Flash, I don't think I want you to come back to the University of Notre Dame. Well, I'm like, well, hey, wait a minute. I, I was planning on coming back in the graduate degree and, and, you know, he said, well, listen, I got the administration on my butt. I got the student body on my butt. You know, we went, you know, 600 this year and, and, you know, they're used to winning national championships and I got to get there and I got to bring my kids uh, in and they need to be playing and starting. And I can't wait any longer. You are not part of my population of people. And I remember, you know, cause this is what most of us would say and do. And I remember saying to him, and again, I'm, I'm at 18 at the time. And he said, so I'm going to ask you not to apply for the fifth year. Just, I know you started last year and the year before, and I, this is abnormal, but I'm going to ask you, because I've got to really get ready for the next year. And I said, wait a minute, coach, that's not fair. I said, you, you can't just kick me out of an institution um, because you're ready to play others and you're trying to get to a national championship. And, and he said, well, listen, I got to go out of town, do some recruiting, but I'm going to come back in two, two weeks. When I get back, I'll let you know what I really want to do, if I'm going to keep you or if I'm going to send you back. And I remember, he said, well, you, you can be dismissed. And I remember walking out the door and I'm walking to my dorm. And, and I was thinking, like, hmm, I, I'm about to go home, right? And, I, and I've already talked to the graduate school and going to be enrolling and get a degree, a degree and all that good stuff. And and play another year and hopefully try to help in winning a national championship. And I remember getting there in my room and I said, what most Americans say, heck with him. If he don't want me here, I ain't going to be here. And 
I'm just going to tell him when he gets back, I'm done anyway. I, I don't need to beg you. Right. I, I, and I, and it got to the 13th day <laughs> and something came over me guy. And it said, Daryl, be humble, right? Be humble. And I went to coaches and I got some things squared away. So when he got back, he called me into his office. So I walked in and I said, Hey coach. He said, how you doing flash? I said, I'm doing outstanding. He said, well, listen, I have some bad news. I wanted to let you know. And before he get it out, I said, well, wait, coach, before you, before you share anything with me, I just want you to know this. Now I'm 18 years of age at the time. I said, I spoke to the uh, head trainer and I asked him if he'd be willing to work with me one-on-one every day for five days a week during the summer in the off season. And he agreed. And I'd be bigger, better, and stronger than I've ever been. He said, I said, also, coach, while you were gone, I also went to my position coach. And I said, I want to watch film with you on a daily basis, five days a week, two hours a day, regarding my prior film to see what I can improve upon and then look at our future opponents so I can properly prepare for them. And he looked at me and said, are you okay? <laughs> no one's ever asked. No one ever asked that, right? And, he, and, I, and coach agreed to do that. And I think coach was a little surprised. And then I said, and in practice, coach, I agree. And I promise to you every day in practice, I'll give you 120%. 120%. On, and that may mean in practice, some people will get hurt. But I need to show them the, the culture in which we're going to have. And if we're going to win a national championship, this is how we practice every day. I'll give you that. And if I don't, you kicked me off the team. And he started thinking about that. And then he came back and he said, Flash, I'm going to give you one chance. If I find one problem with you or you providing any cancer to any of the players, you're out. And I'm thinking to myself, can you actually kick me out in the middle of the year? I was saying to myself, right, guy? And I said, I'm in. Okay, let's make it happen. And I began to work. And it's interesting, guy, that year... I was the strongest guy on the team at the end of the summer, bench pressing 430 pounds. I watched more film. I'd, I had my techniques down to a science. In practice, people always felt like, God, he's so overzealous. No one knew the story between me and coach, though. They just knew every day I brought it as hard as I could. And as a result of all that, you know, I led the team to a national championship. And I got a, this this graduate degree, and I was able to go to the White House, right? And all of these things that came with me not just saying, okay, you don't want me here? I'm out. Because that's what we do so often in our lives, as opposed to fight for what we think could be better for us. And I think he was really looking for me to step up if I was going to step now up. You if I wasn't, right? And if not, then I should leave. Hmm. And most of our kids left. I was probably one of the very few that stayed. So, so I share that story again to say and to share with you the process of change. And as you talk about being brave and, and those, those things that you teach, I try to teach these components that, you know, of the flashpoints, which is facing up to it, right? You first got to admit to yourself that you're ready. Once you're ready, once you, the light bulb goes off and you say, I'm ready to lose weight. 
I'm, I'm ready to be spiritually driven. I'm ready to get my finances. Or I'm ready to have a better relationship with somebody or I'm ready to get better grades or, or I'm just ready to, to grow in my career. Right. You, you finally say I'm ready. Then once that's checked off with the F facing up to change, the L is learning your capacity. Now, you got to first understand if you even have the capacity to do it. Right? Some of us say, listen, I want to run in the Olympics. Well, listen, you, you fall over your feet now. You're probably never going to run in Olympics in track and field, right? Well, you probably don't have the capacity. But if you do, I could check that box and you want to be great in whatever area that is. Then the A is comes into play. And that's the action plan. That's when you you bring some of the brightest minds together with you and you work on this action plan, right? And, and I spend time in the work, workshops, after keynotes to, to really help them dig deep into the action plans. Um, assuming they want to make change and they have the capacity to. After that's done, the S really is the support system. And so often, this is where I think we fail. We get the plan together, the action plan, and what do we do? We tell no one. I was in the gym today, you know, it's, you know, it's New Year, it's packed. I go, every, I go at five o'clock in the morning. And I said, how many people know that you're working out? No, just me. I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. You told anybody? No. So when you disappear on me next month, no one's going to know. Right? Because you never told anybody. No one's holding you accountable. But if you go tell mom, dad, your sister, your brother, your, your wife, your, your best friend, at least we could ask you every day and hold you accountable to those expectations, which is why half of us never meet the goal that we set. But once that support system's in place, I think, and you're ready to go, I think that last piece is holding on to it. <laughs> it's like, how do I stay there? How do I, I just lost 20 pounds. Next year, I can't come back and gain 40, right? How do I hold on to the success that I'm, I'm currently in? How do I win next year another national championship, right? How do I make sure we made money this year? How do I make sure next year we make twice as much money? And it wasn't just a flash in the pan, right? The, no pun intended. But, but if, you, if you get what I'm saying, um, Guy, it's, it's, it's a process that is so necessary in our society and where we are with respect to COVID and all the challenges we're having financially in our organizations, our relationships, and the claustrophobic and anxiety that people are dealing with. We've got to change. And if not, we're going to find ourselves in a very peculiar situation. So you're exactly right. So my, my last my, my, my last question for you is the future for you, where are you, what are you heading into? Is it uh, more of the same? Is it actually, no, I've got a big plan, but I can't tell you about it. Is the, you know, what, if yeah, I speak yeah. to you in, in a few years, what, what have you been doing a few, you know, in the next few years when I, when I'm, you know, what, I, I, I know clearly, you know, my next direction. And that is, as God has told me is to, to tour the world and tell them about this process of change and help them to change. And if that's the military, if that's national championships teams, if that's colleges, if that's uh, governmental structures, if that's nonprofits, right? Um, if it's high schools, that, that, that I will assure myself that I will be the guru in that respective area of change. And I will help you, whoever that may be, you know, to, to help you move in that particular direction. Again, I, I spent my life doing it. And, uh, you know, so it's nothing more than what I really want to do because I think it's required. I would do it for free, <laughs> you know, because I believe in it that much. Um, I believe if I can get to as many people as I can, and, you know, that's millions of people and sharing the book with them. And I'd like to, 
I'd like to, to actually complete another book on, on the process of change, but more from organizational perspective. Um, and then look at maybe another one from individual perspective to focus really on those respective areas. But, but you know, don't be surprised when I'm coming to England and I'm in your Coliseum or, I'll be there. or any of those pieces. And, uh, and I call your name out because um, we first have to think it in order to believe it. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll carry you back there. I don't know about that. I'll carry yours. <laughs> uh, the servant, I know my, I know servant my leadership relationship, Daryl. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> we we can fight over that. That's what servant leadership is. We'll fight over that. <laughs> Listen, um, I want to keep going. I'm not. You've been an absolute, absolute privilege to have on. Um, I'm going to press the, the the stop button, but um, just stay on for a few seconds, just to make sure yes. it's doing what it should be. But just on a personal note. Thank you so much for giving me your time. It's been absolutely invaluable. It's been a privilege. Well, well, well Guy, you are doing some unbelievable things in an unbelievable market, uh, you know, for unbelievable people. And I think, you know, we need more of you, right, to help get the word out about how we can help people do better and how we can help our society and our world do better. And you are the pinnacle of that. And for that, I am grateful for you to even consider me to be on your show and um, again, I hope that you continue to grow and do great things in transforming the world like you're doing today. Well, that's very gracious. Thank you, sir. And I'm Thank going to press that stop button. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book, Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.